You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that the one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that the one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the word of the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you don't know already, the amazing benefit and privilege that is um, yours when we uh, started our community groups up this week. Some of the groups won't be uh, able to meet because of today and tomorrow's holiday, Uh, but we are starting the groups up this week. In fact, as of right now, you can go onto your phone, Go onto your device, go onto your computer, and uh, log on and see what what our community groups are offering when they meet. Um, and you can see that right now we've updated it. Actually, around ten o'clock today, we just pushed the button, and now they're all up there. And we have over twenty groups uh, now meeting from Colleen all the way to Mill Creek to Temple. And uh, we are this this year, this fall, we're able to start a young adult group. So if you are maybe a newlywed or somebody that's close to being a newlywed, you hope maybe, I don't know, um, or maybe you're nowhere close to being a newlywed because you don't even have a guy or a girl. Anyway, but if you're a young adult and you don't want to hang out with college students, which is okay, um, but you want a group, we have a group and it's on there. You'll see that on the things. We also have a college group. We've got groups, the same groups, some of the same groups and multiplying out groups. We really encourage you to be a part of this. We encourage you to join a group. In fact, if you come and approach me a month from now and say, hey, I really want to serve, I really want to to grow more in the Bible, I want to learn more about the church, one of the first things I'm going to ask you is this, which group are you in? It's that important. We want you to be in community. We want you doing life with others. It helps with accountability. And And by the way, if you've already been a part of a group before, And you're like, yeah, I really want to try out a different group. We've already talked about it with community group leaders. They're okay if you try out another group this year. They're not going to get their feelings hurt. They're not supposed to get their feelings hurt. They know that they just want you connected with a group. So one of the reasons we take the break in the summer is to give the leaders a chance to have a, a little respite, but also give you a chance to say, you know what? I'm going to try out another group. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, it is good to be back. We have gotten, uh, we had vacation, we moved kids into college, we've had a lot of things going on, but it is a blessing to be here. And we're looking at this series in Luke chapter 9, and we've, we we're calling this series Identifying Jesus. And what you'll see week after week after week, that chapter 9 in Luke is a unique chapter chapter. 
it is a chapter where sort of there's this crossroads in Jesus' ministry where like it's about to get really amped up in the decision-making and the disciple-making and these things. And I was reminded as I was looking at this text and thinking about this sermon, when I was a child, I wasn't a reader. It's not because I couldn't read because I read everything on the back of my baseball cards. I knew everything about those. Um, when the book fair came at the elementary school, I don't know if they even still have that, but book fairs would come. Everybody was excited, and the only thing I was really excited about is I wonder if the new Garfield book came out or if the new Mad Libs is something like. I wasn't much of a, like, go get me these big, thick books to read and all this stuff until there was this series that came out called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Y'all know, come on, Gen Xers, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like you, you would read a page, and at the bottom of the page, there were these three options or two options, depending on how big the page was. And, and you would read the page, and you would, like, get to choose. It was almost like you were writing the story, which you really weren't. But you felt like you were in control of, like, wow, I can't wait. I'm going to gather all this information on this page about the story and the plot and what's happening. And at the end, it'll give me an option do you think Larry is going to do this? Go to page 36. If you want to see Larry do this, turn to page 46. You go and turn to that page. And there's several things that are really exciting about that. I got to gather information, and I had the promise waiting for me at the end of the page that I get to build into the story that I'm reading a decision. I was involved. I don't know where those went or whatever, but... The other reason why this was this kind of worked is that the decision I was making at the bottom of the page wasn't really a serious decision at all. If I chose the wrong one, I was like, well, that was really boring. I don't like that. Guess what? Just go back, choose option B, and read the story all over again. Or if I was bored with the book, I can go back and make different decisions. And so it wasn't really life and death decision. It was kind of a carefree way to get me reading, maybe get you reading. But adjusting to life and growing in life isn't that carefree, is it? Growing in life, it's, it seems like today what we are doing with the generations that are coming up is we're giving them a choose-your-own-adventure life pattern choice, whereas before, some of the bedrock decisions were made for us and they were good decisions, and we built on them, it seems like today we're asking questions that were never really asked that way before. We're asking different things about our identity, important questions. And in fact, I would say we're really asking the wrong questions as we're trying to discover some very important decisions to life. You see, working against us is this agent of chaos that has a plan for your life. Every day you wake up, there's a plan for your life. And that plan for your life is to steal it, it's to kill it, it's to destroy it. And there's a plan for your life. And this agent of chaos, what he wants to do and what he has been doing, he has been leading us to question our identity and not look for that answer anywhere else but within ourselves. It's not just questions about 
who am I? What should I do? Where should I go? What am I made for? Those are the questions I kind of grew up asking. Those questions are launching from already a foundation that's pretty secure and strong. But now we're asking a different set of questions. It was seen most telling in last year's uh, documentary that fueled such a fiery debate, a documentary by Matt Walsh, you may have heard about it, just a simple question that should have a very simple answer, what is a woman? And it just, the the tailspin and the, the firestorm that came from just this documentary of just asking a simple question, what is a woman, is a reminder that the agent of chaos has been working and is working to disturb and disrupt and cause people to launch out on their own in this, will you choose your own adventure your way? The very real agent of chaos knows full well that if a society and a culture can chip away at the bedrock, foundational, most important answers to very clear, right questions, if he can chip away at that, then the entire culture will crumble. And that's what we see happening a lot in our society. And as you begin to despair about just how bad today is, remember, he's been doing this a long time. In fact, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God creates everything. He says it's settled. It's all created. It's all created for you. It's all for you to enjoy. It's all for you to enjoy and to walk with me and to fellowship with me and to live with me. It's it's all for you to enjoy and to live with one another. In fact, I'm giving you mastery over everything and you can you can just go freely. It just the only really avoid this one fruit from this one tree. It's all settled. And the agent of chaos comes in and starts leading us as it led Adam and Eve to ask the wrong kinds of questions, leading us to chip away at the foundational truth. Did he, did he really say that? Is he, is he really going to give you everything? I, it's almost, God's holding out on you, isn't he? There's more than what God's offering you. And next thing you know, we have a life of sin in a world of consequences with that. In Luke chapter 9, what we see is we come to a most important of all building block questions. We see that there is one question that is asked three times. One question that is asked three times. This is the right question that we should be asking. That's what we're going to see today, why this is the right question that we're asking. And what we're going to see is that this is the right question that leads to the most important answer and decision of our lives. It's that big. So let's pray and ask for his help. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing us and drawing us to Christ. We thank you for bringing us to the word. We ask that you would make the word come alive to us. I pray if there's anyone here that is asking the wrong questions, that you would give them these right questions. If there's anyone here that's asking it and looking for the answers in the wrong way, that you would clarify for them where to find the truth. And I pray, oh God, that today be the day 
that several people in this room or watching online says, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Please, oh Lord, do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have three important questions. They're all the same question, but they're asked in three different ways. Let's first look at the first one. It's from a man named Herod. In verse 7, we see it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, and here's the question, but who was this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. What is happening here? Who is this Herod fella? And why is his questioning such a big deal? Well, Herod, um, about 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. was the time he was around. Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch is a, a fancy title or a word that basically means he was a client king under Roman authority. So the Romans were ruling everything and assigned to be the king of the Jewish people this time is this Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod, this Herod in Luke 9, you're like, wait a minute, isn't he related to somebody? Yes, he's related to what was Herod, known as Herod the Great, that we know about in Matthew chapter 2. Herod the Great is the one who was so threatened by the promise of a new king. Remember the wise men were walking through and he asked them and he says, hey, when you get through seeing him, let me know where he is. I want to see him. And if you remember the story in Matthew chapter 2, what we know is that Herod the Tetrarch's dad, Herod the Great, exterminated all two-year-old boys in that region because he was so threatened by the thought of another one rising up. This is the home in which this Herod in Luke 9 was raised in. He most likely grew up both highly favored as the incoming king and possibly highly paranoid. He was the new king, and we learn that this apple did not fall too far away from this tree of terror. His dad exterminated all these two. Imagine the upbringing, knowing and hearing the stories, whether he remembered them or not, that my dad is known for killing all children under two years old. And growing up in this household, knowing that this is the legacy that is left to him, this ruthless, forceful decision to preserve your kingdom. And just as his father sought to destroy the founder of grace and salvation, his son, Herod the Tetrarch, did kill the messenger of grace and salvation. In Matthew 14, we read of Herod's ridiculous, callous vulgarity as he ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. And he did that to satisfy the complaints of a woman. Which leads us to Luke 9, verse 9. This Herod hears about this Jesus People are coming to him saying, well, it's, some people say it's John the Baptist. And, and, and 
a lot of commentators will say, well, he thought it was John the Baptist, but no, he real quickly says, well, John, I beheaded. Like, I snapped my fingers. He's headless. He's done. He's not, there's no, and then it gets, some say that it was prophets of old. It's Elijah that has come back. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. That's interesting. His father wanted to see him. His father wanted to see him and wanted to kill him. His father wanted to do work against Jesus. What was this Herod's goal? Why did he want to see Jesus? I don't necessarily think it was to kill him at that moment. I know that because in verse um, in chapter 23, if you'll turn there, Luke chapter 23, we see that Herod actually got his wish. The day finally arrived where he got to see Jesus. If there was an agenda to kill him, this would have been the moment to do it because what's happening here is Jesus had been, this is much later, Jesus had been arrested. Pilate's learned that he's under Herod's jurisdiction, so he says, well, I'm not going to make a decision because Pilate's asking the same question. Who is this Jesus? Who, is, who are you? What's going on? Oh, you're under Herod's jurisdiction? Then you're going to go and Herod's going to make the decision. I'm not going to decide. Herod's going to decide. So he goes to this Herod. And what we see in verse 6, follow along with me in chapter 23. So when Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, check it out, he was very glad. In Luke 9, he's inquiring about him. He's wondering, who is this? I, I desire to see him. I want to see him. And here he is. Jesus came and says he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But he, meaning Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Jesus uniting people all over the world. We might want to look at this and say, Jesus, this is your moment. You've got the lead politician. He's bringing you in. Isn't that what we do with our day? Lead politician, bring somebody in. Oh, this is your moment. You're going to speak the truth. And this is a great moment for the church and for everybody. Jesus is quiet. Herod's asking, who are you? Been wanting to see you, but what is going on here? It is appalling what we read. Here we read what Herod is really wanting. He wants Jesus to do some stuff. I want to see him. Let me just be real basic about this. He wants Jesus to come and entertain him. 
heard about all these things, hear what's going on, who is this guy, you're saying it's this, you're saying it's him, you're saying it's these people. I can't wait to see his tricks. Herod is not concerned about Jesus' true identity at all. What he's concerned about is he wants to see Jesus because like so many today, he wants Jesus to instead sort of support and validate his identity. I am Herod, the Tetrarch. I want to bring him in, and I want maybe to say that I brought Jesus in, and he did all these tricks and did all this performance before me, the king. I want him to validate me. I want this to be about me. I killed John the Baptist like it was nothing. I snapped my fingers, it was done. But this guy, I want to see him. I'm curious of his ability. What can he bring? Today, we see it all the time, that discussions about Jesus in the political world, in the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean that people are wanting to follow Jesus. Herod wants Jesus to make much of him, or at least do stuff for him. As soon as Jesus decided not to entertain Herod, not to do what Herod wanted him to do, what did Herod decide? He chose to reject him. He chose to mock him. And he chose to dismiss him. Can't you see this happening all the time today? We have this Many people have this idea of Jesus, and they want to fit Jesus into their agenda. We want you to bless my identity. We want you to bless what I'm about. We want you to come and sort of support it and, and endorse it and just sort of make light of it. There's no desire to really adopt to Jesus' identity, to surrender our lives to his identity, to who he is. We want to bring Jesus in to make us feel comfortable about who we've been. We don't really have this culture anymore going around where we want to be a people that are going to bend and bow to him. And when we learn that Jesus, we actually read all of the Bible and read that Jesus doesn't really do our bidding like we want them to do it. We see in our culture all the time that they reject him. They'll mock him and dismiss him. Put him over here. Let's pull Jesus out when we need him, but let's not really care about who he is. Wanting to believe some things about Jesus, but not really fully wanting to identify the true Jesus, or follow the identity of Jesus? That's one question. We have one question coming from Herod the Tetrarch. Who is this? I want to see him. Later, we see that he dismisses him and mocks him. So then we fast forward down through chapter 9, and we come to where Christ is now asking his first question. What we see here in verse um, chapter nine, actually, we're gonna we're gonna skip on down, and we see the first question that Jesus is asking of the disciples here. We need to remember that Jesus had just sent his disciples out. They came back. They fed five thousand plus people with leftovers. It's pretty amazing. Jesus revealed some important things to them in that revealing, in that healing, and in that 
a sort of debriefing of what his disciples learned and what they did, we saw the capability of Jesus, that he is able to feed 5,000 plus with leftovers. We see the compassion of Jesus. David talked about this last week, that not only is he able to do all that we could ask or imagine, he is compassionate and wants to do that. That's part of his identity. But there's more. Away from the crowd, after praying alone, Jesus brings his disciples back and asks them this. Ask, he asks them this question in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? First question from Herod, who is this? I want to see him. Jesus now asking same question, but in a different way. Who do the crowds say that I am? After all that we've done, after all that I've done, what is the word on the street about me? How is my name trending? What is happening here? What is the response? What are the reactions of those that have encountered me? The people who have heard stories about me. Um, the woman who reached out and touched my robe. The people connected to her. And the, the, the one that was healed by disease. The one whose children were, were healed. And all of their peers and all of their young families attached to the, the child that was healed. What are they saying about me? How is the crowd identifying me? What's the word on the street? They answered him. Verse 19. And they answered John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. So it seems that those who are gathering intel and data for Herod are the same that were gathering intel and data for the apostles. So what we see here is we have now two reports of the crowd, of the culture, of the community, what they're saying about Jesus. We got Herod's people reporting this. We got the apostles' people reporting the same thing. It actually says quite a bit, doesn't it? There's really two important takeaways from this. First of all, Jesus was not normal. Who are they saying that he is? Some of the most abnormal figures in their history. They like, oh, let's think of the weirdest, most craziest things that have ever been recorded in our history. Let's start with John the Baptist. That just happened because that was weird. And then let's start with Elijah. Then we'll go to Elijah and then we'll go to all the prophets. This, this Jesus, what we do know about him is he's not normal. He, it's got to be one of them which leads us to the second odd response from the crowd. Jesus was not normal, but Jesus is not new. He's got to be one of them. It's got to be. I mean, the most popular response to the question, who is Jesus? The most popular response was, well, he is a resurrected, famous miracle worker, so it must be a prophet, Elijah, or somebody like that. It was not, he is the savior of the world. It is not that he is 
the king that's coming to build a new kingdom. He is abnormal. He is not normal at all. And is not new. We've seen this before. The reality was that most people find it easier to accept that Jesus might have been a slain prophet risen from the dead than a Messiah that's come to redeem and save. This isn't all that uncommon in our culture today. We want to fit Jesus into an identity that we can understand and that we can accept. We want to mold and squeeze Jesus into this image and identity that we actually appreciate, that we would even applaud. We want to say that Jesus is love, and we want to say that Jesus is saying all these things about us, but when we actually get into what we're going to get into later in this chapter, we're going to go, whoa, that's the Jesus I would like to just take out of the Bible. He's not normal, but he's, he's not new. It's not just Herod the Tetrarch. This is the feedback from the crowds, the ones he's fed, the ones he's freed. All of these find it more comfortable to say this must be a resurrected prophet than to say this is a new king with a greater kingdom. Now think about that. We experience that today, don't we? It's easier for us to just acknowledge the old Jesus than to think that we are called to be eternity-minded of a different kingdom. We find more security in putting all of our chips into an election here in our country when this is just one country of all these countries that's all under the reign of our king. We put all of our hope into something from yesterday than realizing that Jesus is now and forever. I don't think these responses surprise Jesus at all. In fact, what we see happening here is Jesus probably knew and purposely wanted to expose to the disciples this is what majority thinking looks like. And so then he pulls them in, and then we see the third question, or the third time this question is asked. Verse 20, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Herod, who is this? I want to see him. To the disciples, Jesus says, who, who do they all say that I am? What's the word on the street? What's the buzz? And he pulls them in and he says, well, what about you? Majority is saying this. The majority is after this. What about you? Church, this question, this is the right question to be asking today. This is the question we should be asking. What is his identity? Not, let's make sure everybody understands their identity. Because what we're going to see when we get into this, we're going to see the great joy, the great honor, the great privilege of our identity being more clear and presentable to us when we find ourselves lost in his 
identity. So the right question is not, what is your sexual identity or this or that? The question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Who do you say that I am? It's the right question because the answers to this question reveal exactly how he is able to do all the things that he's done. The answers to this question reveal why he is doing all that he's done and why he is saying and teaching all that he's teaching. The answers to this question reveal what his end game is really all about, what his vision is. It's the right question to ask because with all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did, everyone must determine if they think Jesus is either the Lord of all, a liar, or a lunatic. C.S. Lewis was famous for putting that in one of his books, but actually this was called a trilemma that was uh, presented by a Scottish preacher, John Duncan, in 1859. It's a question that's been asked for a lot. What John Duncan said in one of his writings, he said, Christ is either, number one, deceived, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or two, he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or three, he is divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. This question is asked by Herod. It's asked of the crowd. And Jesus asked the disciples. The majority doesn't know. They're only guessing. They're grasping. They're hoping in the wrong thing. But you who are close to me, who do you think I am? What do you believe? Who do you say I am? Have you answered that question in your life? Have people come alongside and asked you that? Luke, very clearly, leading up to this point, makes it very clear who Jesus is. Let's just look back. In the, we've been going through the book of Luke for a long time. Maybe you were hoping, oh, Jason's back. We're going to get out of Luke. Sorry. Nope. We're right in the middle of it. Here's what we've learned so far. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel told Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Not a secret. Very clear. He's coming to be a king. He's coming to reign. We're just getting started. Later in chapter 1, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, testified that this Jesus would be the horn of salvation for us, a savior. At his birth, the angels appeared to the shepherds and said in Luke chapter 2, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there will be born for you a miracle worker. Is that what it says? A Savior who is Christ 
the Lord. Just a few verses later, when Jesus is presented in the temple, Simeon and Anna testify that he was indeed the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. At the age of 12, Jesus told his earthly parents that he had to be in his father's house. John the Baptist, who was heralding the good news and was the forerunner of Jesus, identified Jesus as the Messiah. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, I do want to read how John the Baptist identified Jesus. Verse 16. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. How in the world could the crowd say, this is John the Baptist? I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't want to hear about that, Jesus. This is his identity. In that baptism, the Holy Spirit has anointed Jesus and the Heavenly Father affirmed. Verse 21, it says, Now when the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Luke even records in chapter 4, and this is important, that even the agent of chaos knew who he was. Chapter 4, the demons acknowledged the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. They were threatened by him. What they knew of him, they didn't want any part of it either. And Peter, in Luke chapter 9, answers the question, For the group, it seems like that's what Peter does a lot. Who do you say that I am? The Christ. The Christ of God. That's your identity. You are the Christ. Matthew records it this way. In Matthew chapter 16, we see that it is recorded in this way. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are the Christ, a testimony that the entire church is built on. Not my identity as the pastor. You know what we do when we go and look at a church and want to learn a little more about the church? Let's go to the staff page. Let's see who their elders are. Let's see who their staff is. Let's see what they do here. Let's look at all this identity. What we want to point people to is what Luke has done here. He 
is the Christ? It is the right question to be asking. It is the right question because it leads us to the most important decision that you can make in your life, and you can make that decision right here, right now. You might have been on the fence all of your life. You may have been asking all these other questions all your life. There may have been people, the crowd, leading you to answer it this way or ask it this way, but it's not new right now, right now. You can say, like Peter, something is happening in me. Right now, I want to say, Jesus is the Christ. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe right now, as I said that, there was something you said, yes. Yes. He is our Savior. It is the right question to ask because it leads us to the most important answer. It's the right question to ask here as we look at the context in Luke chapter 9 because, first of all, it's about to get real for them. He's about to get into calling them to lose your identity, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's calling them. If we look back at the Hebrews passage that David read with the the opening, it is... He is someone that I need to reckon with. He is somebody I need to make a decision on because later in Hebrews we see that those who mock him, who don't want anything to do with him, who dismisses him, that there's judgment coming. Have you made that decision? It's the most important answer, not because things are about to get real, but things are about to get really weird Transfiguration is about to happen. There's some that are going to see something and go, whoa, he's different. He's not like Elijah, and he's not John the Baptist. He's the Christ. It's an important question to answer because for them, it's about to get really serious and scary. Verse 22, actually verse 21 of our Luke 9 passage says that he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. And then in verse 22, it says, the son of, he said, the son of man must suffer many things. It's good that you know this answer because you're about to see me suffer and I'm not going to look like a victorious king when they're beating on me, spitting on me. The disciples could be saying at that time, well, it's okay. We're all gonna, it's all going to be a little suffering. We, we can endure some suffering. goes on to say, not only are they going to suffer, am I going to suffer many things, I'm going to be rejected. The crowds, the majority, they're going to speak very loudly, and they're going to reject me. Okay, well, it's okay if, some of, if the crowds reject. We don't really care about the crowds anyway. We're with you, then Jesus goes on to say, I'll be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Who do you say that I am? Because the majority, the politicians, the world order is going to reject them. Who do you say that I am? The apostles could have even said at that time, it's okay, they can all reject you. We're all going to be good. We'll still build the kingdom. Then he says, and I'll be killed. But on the third day, be raised again. 
It's the right question to ask because it's an important answer for them because it's about to get really real, it's about to get weird, and it's about to get scary. I don't know what's going to happen in your future. But what we testify by taking communion, what we sang in the, the songs that we've been singing the gospel is that no matter what comes our way, they can reject him, they can reject us, the majority can all be saying this, and they could be forcing different identities on us, but we're going to say he is the Christ. And we want to be lost in him and his kingdom forever because when we lose ourselves, we find ourselves in Christ. That's where we're going in the rest of this chapter. Even when the crowd says this, what do you say? Before I pray for you and before we sing, this isn't a silly choose-your-own-adventure book that you can just go back. I want to do it differently. At the end of every sermon, at the end of every time you read the scriptures, at the end of every prayer, who do you say Jesus is? Choose today to say yes to Christ, my Savior. If that's you, after the service is over, just come talk to somebody about it. We'd love to pray for you. I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for sending Jesus to us. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for being rejected. We thank you for being mocked. We know that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, that you are coming back. And we want to say as a church that we identify you as our Christ and our Savior and the King of all kings. Holy Spirit, we thank you for making this truth affirmed over and over again as we see the testimony of not just this church, but churches all over our country and all over the world. Praise your name. Help us, O oh Lord, to continue to exalt and herald and to make known the majesty of Christ Jesus in all things.